The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Welcome to Overland Park Community Church. Good to see you all today. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 27. we got a lot to cover, uh, so we're going to jump in um, pretty quick and uh, really cool to see. I'm kind of surprised each week who's going to be on the, the video, so great job to Tyler and they've got some really cool things happening on Tuesday nights. A great place to plug in uh, to the church if you're looking for some opportunities uh, to serve. But um, that's already been announced, so I don't need to spend any time on it. Growing up uh, in the 70s with two older brothers, one six years older, one seven years older than me, like I looked up to them, and um, they were uh, uh, probably, I don't know, I was six and 76. My oldest brother would have been 12 and 13. So give you an idea of when they were teenagers. And uh, I was a kid, but I just, man, I, I, I looked up to uh, those guys. And, and so they exposed me to a lot of things, uh, mostly bad. <laughs> and so uh, the, the, uh, one of the things my mom, man, she, she had us in church and stuff and, and, she would just throw a fit over some of the things that they would say. And one of the things I can remember that, that she didn't like that, they, that, that we said, because I said what they said, and okay, it's okay, it's not that bad, all right, um, it was the pits. I don't know if that's said anymore. Did you, do you remember when people used to say, man, that's the pits? Do we say that still? No, that's old, that's old term. So I said, man, I mean, that's the pits. My mom said, oh, don't say that, Jeff. And we'd giggle, you know, a little bit about it. Uh, but my mom didn't, she didn't like for us to, to say that, but sometimes we could feel like, like that's what we would say, man, when life, when you were, things were really down, you didn't like something. And um, uh, we could feel that way in life. Like sometimes you could feel like, man, this, this is just the pits. Like, like this is where I'm at um, right now at this particular juncture. And there's nothing sinful about it. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in James chapter 1, and I have to remind myself this, Frequently, James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3 says, Consider it pure joy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. So when you go through a very difficult time, a trial, what are you supposed to do? Consider it joy. That's your first response should be, this is a joyful experience for me because God is trying to do something in my life, and that's the way we're supposed to approach some things that happen in our lives of which we wish they would not happen or some circumstances that we might uh, find ourselves in. And so it's not sinful to have some of that, like it doesn't mean that we've been sinful because we find ourselves there, but it is important what we do once we're there. That's a very important thing for us to consider. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 27, we're going to look and see uh, some things about David. And interestingly, um, one of the things I love about the Word is, man, it doesn't hide anything. It doesn't, it doesn't sugarcoat stuff. Like, it gives you everything, the good, the bad, um, uh, the, the ugly. It gives you everything about the characters in the Bible. And so as we look at David today, we know that um, last week he's had his second encounter with Saul. He's confronted Saul. He snuck into the camp while Saul was sleeping, took the spear and, and his water jug, and, and, and then confronted him after he got some distance and, and woke him up and said, hey, man, I could have killed you again, basically, and I didn't. And so Saul leaves, and we pick up um, where, where David is at after that occurrence. And it says, but David thought to himself, one of these days 
I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. So David is kind of in that place of the pits, man. He's like, this stinks, man. Every time I get somewhere and try to get settled, here comes this guy again trying to kill me. And so he thinks to himself, one of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do is escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel, and I will slip out of his hand. So David and the 600 men with him left and went over to Achish, son of Maok, king of Gath. David and his men settled in Gath with Achish. Each man had his family with him, and David had his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, and the widow, the widow of Nabal. And when Saul was told that David had fled to Gath, he no longer searched for him. Mission accomplished. Then David said to Achish, If I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be assigned to me in one of the country towns, that I may live there. Why should your servant live in the royal city with you? With, with you? So on that day, Achish gave him Ziklag, and it has belonged to the kings of Judah ever since. And David lived in the Philistine territory a year and four months. Now David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites, the Gerizites, and the Amalekites. From the ancient times, these people had lived in the land extending to Shur and Egypt. And whenever David attacked an area, he did not leave a man or woman alive, but took sheep and cattle, donkeys and camels and clothes, and then he returned to Achish. And when Achish asked, where did you go raiding today? Now, this is, this is kind of important because you can read that and you go, man, this chapter all my life is just kind of jacked with me. I'm like, what is this? Is, I have trouble with this chapter. So just reading it every day um, the last week, the Lord started clearing some things up in my study. And, and thanks to some uh, uh, other sources and some guys that are a lot smarter than me, I was able to kind of uh, nail down some things. But what, what is going on here? A little bit of these, these people, when God promised to Moses the, the promised land, and he said, look, you're to go in and take the, these territories. There was a mandate from the law. The Torah came in and said, you go in and you take these, these, this, this land. And this was part of the, these people controlled part of the land. And so some of that promise had never been fulfilled. So David was actually uh, fulfilling some of it. But he would go out and he would raid against these people. And when he returned, it says that when Akish asked, where did you go raiding today? David would say, against the Negev of Judah or against the Negev of Jeremiah, or against the Negev of the Kenites. He did not leave a man or woman alive to be brought to Gath, for he thought they might inform on us and say, this is what David did. And such was his practice as long as he lived in Philistine territory. Achish trusted David and said to himself, he has become so odious to his people, the Israelites, that he will be my servant forever. And so what David was doing is he was going and he was fighting like it was kind of a dual enemy, like it was an enemy of the Philistines, but it was also an enemy of the Israelites. But he was telling the guy that he was there in Philistine with that he was actually raiding against Israelites. And so he was kind of telling some partial truth there. And so we look at this, we go, okay, wh wh what is going on here? Um, well, what we see is what David did wrong. David gets into the pits, and there are several things that he does wrong. And sometimes that's what we do. Sometimes we find ourselves in a place where we've done the wrong things and we see what we should not do in, the, in those situations. And so some things to avoid and then some way, a way out if, if you've done that and you find yourself in that place today. But here's the first thing, okay, when you're in the pits, when things aren't going the way that you want them to go, 
is don't think to yourself. It's the way it started out. David thought to himself. When we think to ourselves, it's important to think the right things, and we usually don't, okay? And so he's just thinking to himself, and he never looked up. How many times through the Samuel that we've been teaching, what does David usually do? He calls for the high priest, or he calls for the ephod. Bring me the ephod. I need to spend some time with the Lord and talk to him in prayer about what we should do or what I should do in this situation. It's interesting um, that he does not call for the ephod at this particular juncture. And so just he had just had three awesome victories. Okay, Remember, he was in the cave. Saul comes looking for him. Saul comes in the cave to relieve himself by himself, and David and his men are in the back of the cave in the dark, hiding, and, and Saul doesn't even know they're in there. And so he doesn't, he doesn't kill him. He, he confronts him. He does the righteous thing. He does what is pleasing to God, and Saul says, man, I can tell you're going to be the king. So the actual king who's tried to kill him realizes that David doesn't kill him, and he says, man, I, I, I see God in you. And then we follow that with the whole situation with Nabal. And Nabal would not, like, even though David had done work for him, he would not reward him through that work, even though he had plenty of wealth. And so David was furious. He was going to go kill Nabal. And what happened was Abigail came. She interceded in the whole thing and intervened, if you will. And, and David recognized, man, God sent this woman to keep me from doing something that would really cause a lot of pain in my life. And so he recognized that. Again, a major victory. And then we see him again back with Saul. Saul comes for him a second time, and he's camped, and David goes and he encounters him, and he sees supernaturally that God is working in that. There is a deep sleep that has overcome the, all of Saul's men, and David is able to go into the camp undetected and take these two items and show Saul once again that he could have killed him. So he's got these three mountaintop experiences but then he hits the panic button. And what do we learn from that? We learn that after you go through major victories in your life, it is a very vulnerable time. Like You can conquer some incredible territory for the Lord, and then you are in a vulnerable position. And so you have to keep your eyes open and be careful not to hit the panic button when you face another trial. And so he found himself vulnerable. He was living in the pits. Like, man, Every time they would try to find a new area to settle in, here would come Saul, and they would get them all riled up, and David was the one responsible. And so he's leading all of these men and their families. He's got them out there, and, and so um, he, he starts to think to himself. And what does he do? He acts like the fool. Remember what we talked about um, when we learned about Nabal, what a fool is. When the Bible uses the term fool, we can go to Psalm chapter 14, and it says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. So what is a fool? A fool is, a some, is someone who lives like there isn't a God, lives like God doesn't exist. And so the fool uh, acts like God doesn't act. And so we can even ourselves, if you read Proverbs, you'll see it talks a lot about foolish thinking, and the fool does this, and the fool does that. It doesn't mean exactly the same thing when we say fool. When we say fool, we think of uh, stupidity or ignorance. In this case, it's living like God doesn't exist. And so sometimes for the believer, you can get to a place where you live like God doesn't exist, and that's what David is doing here. And I'm reminded of Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21. Jesus said, he taught this parable. It's a pretty fascinating parable. He says this, well, watch how the guy in the parable is, is thinking to himself. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall 
I do. I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down uh, my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty. I mean, he's even talking to himself really out loud now. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Okay? It's like even Jesus is, is teaching how important it is to not think this way. And so when we look at that, that parable, oftentimes we use it to talk about that you should give faithfully. But that's not what this is teaching. Like certainly it is teaching that, but it is teaching being rich toward God. It is teaching not thinking like a fool. It is teaching thinking about God in everything, putting God first and thinking about who Jesus is and being rich toward Jesus in every decision that I make. Everything that I do, I'm always trying to think about. And this is what the parable is teaching us to how it's to live is we should always be thinking about what would, what, would, what, would I, what would the Lord want me to do in this particular situation? How am I supposed to move forward? And so David doesn't do that. He, he thinks to himself, and he makes a decision. And no, here, here's the second thing. Don't do this. Don't be negative. Don't think to yourself when you find yourself in the pits. Don't be negative. He says what? Saul's going to kill me. I'll perish. I'll never be king. And these are all the things that David was thinking. He ignored all the promises of God that were confirmed not only um, uh, through uh, the, the prophecy from the prophet. Like he, he has a prophet. He has a friend. He has an enemy, and he has a stranger. Like Jonathan was his best friend and said, I know you're going to be king. Here's my, here's my robe. Here's my sword. You take it. His enemy, Saul, said, I know you're going to be king. Like, I know you could have killed me. I know you're going to be king. Um, Samuel came to his home when he was uh, younger and anointed him to be the next king that would replace um, King Saul. Uh, and then uh, we have uh, Abigail who doesn't know him personally comes and says, you are going to be the next king. Don't let this bloodshed be on you. So he's got all these confirmations that God says you're going to be the king, but now he's thinking, if I don't get out of here, uh, Saul's going to kill me. See, this is often this is what the devil does to us. Like we will have some victories and he will come and the more victories that we have, the, the, the stronger he will come back at us to try to get us distracted, doing things that we should not be doing. And, and as he does that, what he's trying to do is get our focus off of the Lord and get our focus on ourselves. So we start, we start thinking, man, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of this battle. I'm tired of having to press forward in this. I just want some relief. And that's what's going on. And, and you, you, you can start to think, man, this is never going to work out. This is never going to happen. And, and so he got negative and he ignored all the promises of God that were confirmed. And, and I think we could make the application that it's the same as ignoring the word of God. When we read about the promises of the word of God and we follow those promises and we apply them to our lives, we can expect that God is going to take care of us. And when we get ourselves 
or our eyes on self, what happens is we get negative and our faith suffers. It starts to cripple our faith. And so things start to get watered down in our lives. We don't feel as strong as we did. We don't feel as up as we did. We don't have as much joy. We don't have as much peace because we've started to think to ourselves and we've started to get negative. Here's the third thing. Don't be rational. Don't be rational. Nothing better, he said, there's nothing better that I could do than what? Go join the enemy. There's nothing better that I could do but to go live in enemy territory. So he's rational. He's, he's not using faith. Um, he has faithless thinking here. It's a picture of a rogue disciple. It's a disciple gone wild. Like, he knows the Lord, but he's rogue. Man, he's saying stuff like, he's not walking by faith anymore. He's walking by sight. And so we hear a lot about the lost. Like in church, we hear a lot about, man, the lost. We got to have a heart for the lost. We got to reach out to the lost. Man, they don't know Jesus. We got to have empathy. We got to relate to them. We got to do this. We got to do that. We got to do the other. Okay? And that's great. We do. We hear a lot about the saved. Man, oh, Joe, he met the Lord, and man, the Lord done a work in his life. And I got to tell you this story about how he encountered the Lord. We, we hear a lot about the saved. But what about the disciple who is walking in dis disobedience? The Scripture has more to say to the disciple who is walking in disobedience than it does at either one of the other two. Like, it's just over and over that once we are saved, like Jesus came to rescue the lost and give us eternal life, and then he talks all throughout the Scripture about what that life is to look like. And so there's a message here that um, uh, Dave, what he does in this, this, this chapter is he gives us a screenshot of a believer on the inside and no difference on the outside. He's gone into enemy territory. There's nothing distinguishable about his life. You don't look at Dave in this chapter and go, man, look at how bright he's shining for the Lord. There is no white hot faith in Dave's life right now. And so like we look at that and we go, okay, man, this is what you don't do when you get in the pits because what happens is it begins to bring about consequences in your life. So if you travel down that road and you start to think to yourself and you start to justify things to yourself and you forget about the word and you start getting negative, then you will start getting rational with your decisions. And we, that's not the way we're supposed to live. We're supposed to, we're supposed to be people of faith that are believing that God is laying out something for us to walk along a journey that's going to be a little bit nerve-wracking. There are going to be battles along the way. It's not going to be easy. There's nothing in Scripture that says that when you become a follower of Jesus, your life, man, is just going to be a breeze. As a matter of fact, everything in the Scripture teaches us in the New Testament, when you give your life to Jesus, it's going to be a battle. And too, for too long, we've been programmed to believe that when we get saved and we meet the Lord, that all of a sudden life is a playground. And the Scripture clearly says it's a battleground. It's a place where we continue to fight and advance the kingdom of Christ first in our own lives. And we see the white-hot faith continuing to come out of us as we achieve the mission that the Lord has laid out for us. If we don't do that. Like if we, if we practice what Dave has practiced, we find ourselves in the pits, we, we start to think to ourselves, we start to get negative, we start to be rational, there are consequences, and here they are. First of all, it contaminates those near and dear to us. When, like you let your lifestyle not be distinguishable, then what happens is the first thing, the people who are nearest and dearest to you, your wife, your husband, your children, your parents, your friends and your family are contaminated by your decision. It is not just you. It is everybody around you. Um, friends and family are likely to follow you into the pit. 
And that's why it's so important for your life to look different than your friends. If your life, listen, you, you can measure, you, you ought to be able to take your life and lay it up against people who are not following Christ as a disciple, and it ought to look different. You ought not tell them it looks different. It just ought to look different. You should be doing different things. You should be setting a different example. Everything about your life should be different. Why? Because you know Jesus. Amen. I mean, like the, it should be. We should not look like everybody else in enemy territory. And Dave, here's what's fascinating about this. Dave fled to Gath. Anybody, anybody know where that is? <laughs> anybody familiar? Sound like a familiar term? When we meet David, you remember the story that makes him famous? He slayed Goliath of Gath. That's, that's, he's gone that far into enemy territory. So it's kind of wild. You look at that. Gath is where Goliath was from. David flees, flees to Gath, and everyone else went with him. Like all of his men, all of their families, they go straight into that place. So it contaminates those near and dear to us. Here's the second consequence. It creates a false sense of security. Sin, like simply, what is sin? Sin is rebellion. This is where we get really in trouble with, with, um, uh, as believers and trying to talk to uh, unbelievers. Is we, we start classifying sin. Well, uh, it's a sin to you know, do this, it's a sin to do that. You know what is a sin? Is not listening to God. That's sin. God tells you to do something, and it's something good, and you're supposed to walk in obedience in that, and you don't do it, it's sin. And so we don't go, oh, well, to, to, to be a sinner is to be wrapped up in sexual immorality. That's sin. Well, sure it is, because we're rebelling against what God said to do. But if God said that I want you to go forth and do A, B, or C, and you don't do it, you're guilty. <laughs> That's sin. So sin is not doing what God asks us to do. And so when we do that, when we, wake when we walk away from that, what is happening is God calls us to responsibility. So we start growing. We start making a commitment, man, and it can get challenging. And the enemy comes at us, and we can find that as that challenge comes, we want to walk away from our calling. And the reason that we want to walk away is because it feels good. You know what? It feels good. It feels good. That's why you find yourself in ministry. Man, I've been in ministry all my adult life, since 22, if you knew how many times that I've said, man, I need to just go do something else. Like, if you knew how many times I've thought that, like just, man, I, I could probably make a lot of money doing A, B, C, or D. And, and you think of that, but, but that's not what God has called me to do. And so I have to be responsible. And one of the th reasons that thought comes to my mind is because there's a lot of pressure behind ministry. There are expectations. There are expectations that, that um, one, you, you live a life of faith. People are looking to you to see what it looks like to follow Jesus. And sometimes you just like to take that hat off and go, ah, oh, you know, like, like, <laughs> So, so you, 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 you think about whenever um, 
you come to this, this, this place and why you feel like you want to walk away from responsibility is because there is a side of it that feels good because it's going to relieve pressure in your life. So like we, we, we're, trying to, we're trying to do what Jesus said to do. What did he say to do? Go make disciples. And as we lean into people and, and, and we're pushing it, it's hard, man. And it creates pressure for the, the person leaning in. It creates pressure for the person getting leaned into. Man, it's just hard. Like it is hard to do. Um, but I, as I see the scripture over and over, I'm just reinforced. Like this is, this is what the Lord has called us to. Um, and, and sometimes like, like people don't, they don't want to be a part of that. And when that begins to happen, the reason I believe that begins to happen is because it's a relieving pressure. And so it feels good. And so you've got to understand that this happens in any kind of responsibility, like even in a, a step of obedience, like to, to, to begin, you know, uh, walking in obedience financially and supporting um, uh, the, the ministry of the church. And you start to walk in that, man. You can, you can want to put that down. Why? Because it relieves pressure. So we can, we can find these things in all kinds of different ways. What, you gotta, what I want you to hear is that, that whenever we start to, to, to do the things that David does in this particular chapter, and we start to think to ourselves, we start to get negative, we start to get rational, and we make the wrong decision, then it contaminates those people around us, and then it creates a false sense of security in our lives. We're like, oh, see, I feel so much better now that I've made that decision. Here's the third consequence. We join the enemy's cause. Just by default, okay? If you choose a disobedient lifestyle over development, you just end up serving the adversary. So what is development? The Lord says, man, I'm going to stretch you. I'm going to grow you. I'm going to take you through this thing called sanctification. Like you're going to get born again. You're going to be an infant. And I'm going to grow you into a spiritual adult that is, is leading other people. And you're to go forth and make disciples of all nations and do what? Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is the mission of the church, clear and simple. And so in order to be able to do that, he has to stretch us and grow us. And as um, that begins to happen, and, and, and if we don't step into it, what are we doing? We're stepping away from it. And so we have to step into that. And if we don't, and we choose disobedience over development, then we end up inadvertently serving the adversary. If the Lord calls you to be obedient, and He says, hey, look, I want you to go up to, um, uh, you're at Starbucks, and you just feel like impressed from the Holy Spirit to, to go over and talk to, the young man or, or a young woman, you, you just feel a nudge from the Holy Spirit. If you don't do that, guess whose cause you've just joined? You, you join the enemy's cause because if the Lord is, is, is like leaning into you, like who knows what could be going on in a person's life? You say, the Lord works that way? Yes, all the time. It's all over the New Testament. You say, man, I've, I've never had that happen to me. That's why you struggle in your faith so much. It's because the Lord is never doing anything in your life. He's never leaning into you and showing you, and you're never getting out of your comfort zone. And so you're walking like everybody else. And there's nothing distinguishable about your life because you're not spending time with the Lord and being sensitive enough to what He's saying to you that you can see Him moving in and around and through you. That's what the Scripture teaches. And so if we're not careful, we inadvertently join the enemy's cause. The next consequence is compromise. Dave walked in compromise for 14 months. This is a 14-month period. For one year, um, or yeah, for over a year, uh, a year and two months, right? He, he walked in compromise. Notice this. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, 
David is called the singer of songs. And you know how many times through this series I've, I've said, okay, let's go back. During this period of David's life, he wrote this psalm. And during this period of David's life, he wrote this psalm. And it's been like really cool to go back and go, man, he wrote a psalm about this. He wrote a psalm when he was going through that experience. And these two connect. Guess what? David wrote no songs during this time in his life. 14 months, no songs, no life, no freedom flowing from Dave. He's walked with God and now he is walking away. And I'm reminded of what Jesus taught us in John chapter 15. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Okay? And so the only way to bear fruit is by walking with the Lord, and now he is walking away. And so what is the next consequence? You sow the wrong seed. Okay? David started pretending to be something he wasn't. Okay? He compromises, is, is, is just pretending to be something you're not. He becomes vague and he tells partial truth. Where, where have you been today? He starts covering his tracks. Why? Because he doesn't want to be accountable for his behavior. So the, like he, he's walking in this place where he's covering up all these things. Now, what is the consequence of that? You reap the harvest of your crop. So these are the consequences. You, you, if you start to think to yourself, you start to get negative, you, um, you start to be rational, and you walk in that way, and you walk away from what the Lord has called you to, then the, the consequences are it contaminates people who are near and dear to you. It creates a false sense of security in your life. You join the enemy's cause. You begin to compromise. You sow the wrong seed, and then you have to reap the harvest of that crop. Now, we're going to jump ahead and you have to understand this part of the story. Because next week you get a really cool story about a witch, so you want to come back next week and bring your friends. Okay? And so, uh, so like, in, in, uh, what, what's coming up is a Philistine battle, battle against the Israelites. They're going to go to war with them. They're going to go to war against Saul and all the, Philist or Saul and all the Israelites. David is living in their territory. And he is... He's convinced this guy, King Akish, that he is, he is submitting to him. And so um, as they're going, David is, is, is going out to meet with them, and he's going along in the journey as well. And it says, um, Akish called to David and said to him, as surely, this is 1 Samuel 29, verses 6 and 8, as surely as the Lord lives, you have been reliable, and I would be pleased to have you serve with me in the army. From the day you came to me until today, I have found no fault in you, but the rulers don't approve of you. Now turn back and go in peace. Do nothing to displease the Philistine rulers. But what have I done, asked David? What have you found against your servant from the day I came to you until now? Why can't I go and fight against the enemies of my lord, the king? And so what we look at is the, as he's reaping the harvest of the seed he's sown, he loses his identity. It's gone. Right? Like he, he has no country. He's neither Israelite nor Philistine. And this is what happens to the believer who starts believing on the inside, but on the outside living like everyone else. You have no country. You have no kingdom. You don't belong to that kingdom, and you don't belong to this kingdom. You're torn between two worlds. It is a miserable place to be. You want to know how I know? First-hand experience. For seven years, I tried it. From 15 to 22, I was torn between two kingdoms. This is the most unproductive time of my life, most miserable time of my life. Like there's periods I don't even remember about that time of my life. 
But, but I finally realized, man, what am I doing? I'm torn between these two kingdoms. And so like we see David, like what had happened to me is the same thing that has happened to David in this, this part of the story is he's lost his identity. He has um, no mission or no purpose. He has a loss of satisfaction. And what first felt like pleasure now feels like prison. And that's where, man, some of you guys, let me just put it out there, like just lest you doubt, like I'm talking to you. Some of you just need to step up. You need to walk away from the enemy territory. You need to get on board with what Jesus is doing because you're living in prison. You're trying to convince two different groups. I know when I'm in love with Jesus, and you guys need to know that. And then these people over here that you're hanging out with have no idea that you are in love with Jesus because you don't look anything different than they do. And if you are in love with Jesus, then they think they're in love with Jesus too. And it's confusing. It's dangerous. And you're in a vulnerable position. And you need to like go, Whoa, what am I doing here? And you need to just nail down the commitment, look forward to what the Lord is calling you to, and don't turn your head backwards. Like just keep looking forward because all of your freedom is ahead of you and nothing but prison is behind you. And so we got to look, look and go, man, wh- what happens? Well, David, he can't go fight. And so he's going back to the place that in Ziklag where, where uh, Akish gave him this country to live in. And when they get back, guess what? All the women, the children, and the livestock are gone. They've been raided. They've been attacked. Nothing there. The Scripture says it when we read about it, and I don't know how much we'll get into that since I'm getting into it a little bit today, but you'll just have to come back to find out, right? And so like, it says that when they came back, the men, they wept until there were no more tears. Like, like he, he descended from like a loss of identity and trying to live between these two uh, places, he descended into despair that ultimately leads to uh, depression. Like he's, like he, he, you weep till you can't weep anymore. He's like, he's so down. And his men wanted to stone him. They wanted to kill him because he was responsible for them being in this position. And so that is the cycle of disobedience. You win, no one wins when you walk in that, and it is like walking in prison. So what do you do to break it? Like, because you may be there and you go, man, so here's, let me, let me say this. I've been like out there, right? Why do I do that? Why do I preach that way? Because nobody would do it with me. And when I finally like, understood what I was doing with my life and how much joy and freedom there was, one of my biggest things that bothered me was like, why isn't it, why didn't anybody ever tell me like this? Why didn't they tell me I was screwing my life up? Why didn't they tell me, like, like why, why didn't anyone challenge me? And so my whole life has just been about challenging people and trying to teach them, you have no idea how much freedom is on the other side. And so like, when, I, when I'm preaching and teaching this way, I'm not trying to beat you up if you're there. What I'm trying to do is give you a vision to get out of there, man. You're in prison. The door is unlocked. The key is purchased by Christ on the cross. You have been forgiven. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation chosen by God to advance the kingdom of Jesus. And and if you're missing that, you're missing life. Like you're missing the, the, the most glorious experience. The fruit of the Spirit being produced in your life is the most incredible experience that a human can, ex, can have. 
It's not going to be how much you achieve in success at your career. It's not going to be um, your family and your children. It's not going to be anything but Jesus that can produce that kind of meaning in your life. That's the only thing. And when you get Jesus and those things start falling into place, man, you are living what Jesus described as the abundant life. You have become a wellspring of life with it welling up inside of you and other people are drawn to Jesus through the life that you're living because it is distinguishable from theirs. You don't look like everybody else. You look like someone who belongs to the kingdom. And so what, but what do you do? Like, like you go, man, man, I, I want to get there and I'm, I'm stuck in the pitch, Jimmy. What do I do? Look at, let's look at chapter 30, verse 6. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Here's the big idea. Look up. Like when you're down in the pits and you can't see the bottom, you look up and you go, man, I need to just surrender to the Lord. What am I doing with my life? God is a, a very present help in the time of need. And so like the prophet Jose says, they sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. Why not reap the whirlwind of faith? Like why not? Like if you're there, like here's, I think here's the word for you today. When you're in the... If, if you've taken the wrong fork in the road and you find yourself like in that place where you're, you're caught between two worlds, you're, you're neither part of the kingdom of Christ or part of the enemies, you're, you're a believer on the inside, but on the outside, you're not living like it. What do, you, what do you do? You come home. Like you just come home. It starts with a commitment. It starts with having the courage to say, what am I doing? And this is what David did. And we see things flip in his life as soon he will ascend to the throne of Israel. And he's walking as a leader in the kingdom. That's what someone wants for you, man. Like He doesn't want you to just go through life and exist. He wants to go th you to go through life and, and sail, man, whatever your experience is, whatever you're going through, man, he wants, he wants you to be on a journey where other people are looking to you. They're going, look, they can see Jesus in you. And they see Jesus in you not because you're always talking about Jesus. They see Jesus in you because your life is just bearing the fruit of Christ. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is just being produced in you. Because you were walking with the Lord. And this is what Jesus meant when he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But when you abide with me, when you walk with me, when you hang with me, I'm going to grow fruit in your life. Come home. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.